For those of you who don't know me, I'm Pastor Vance. I'm a volunteer teaching pastor here at Resurrection Church. And isn't it wonderful this uh, cool summer day that we have that we're able to enjoy, right? I'm just thankful, as I mentioned to uh, Brother Daniel over here, that uh, we have air conditioning, aren't you? All right, I'm going to invite you to go in your Bibles, whether you have a printed copy or an app or the Bible in the pew in front of you, to go to Hebrews chapter 11 as we continue our series on uh, heroes of the faith. And this morning, we're going to be taking a look at Hebrews 11, verses 17 to 22, and we're going to call this message Tenacious Faith. Tenacious Faith. Now, as you're going to that passage, let me start things off, if I can, with a true story. Um, this is about a man that the Lord called home about 12, 13 years ago. But while Tim Hansel was still alive and wrote books and started a ministry, his life had a huge impact upon literally hundreds of thousands of people. And much of that started, however, as a result of an accident. So let me just tell you about Tim Hansel because it goes right into this message as we're going to see. Tim Hansel was returning home from a climb in the Sierra Nevada mountains when his footing gave way on a ledge. Unable to arrest his descent, Hansel fell, landing on the upper back on a domed icy rock. When he woke up, now he did have a friend with him, thankfully. He was thankfully able to move, but he had a strong nagging headache, a dull persistent body ache, and felt shorter. Tim returned home with his friends. Two days later, he woke up to excruciating pain. He later learned about his fractured vertebrae, crushed disc, bone fragments, and that he would be in constant pain for the rest of his life. Eventually, God led Tim to Dr. Albert Meyer, a top-notch orthopedic surgeon. So Dr. Meyer examined Tim, and this is a bit of what he told him afterwards. The doctor said, well, all I can tell you is that everybody has to live with something. What you're going to have to live with is pain, but it's not the end of the world. You're still blessed with many things such as movement. What do you suggest I do, said Tim. I suggest you bite the bullet and live to 100. It was the most powerful sign of hope I had had from a doctor in a long time. Well, what can't I do? After a moment, he thought, well, there's so much damage to your neck, I wouldn't recommend painting eaves. I hate to paint. What else? Son, listen to me. The damage has been done. The worst is over. You have to live with pain, but that's a small price to pay for life. My recommendation is that you live your life as fully and richly as possible. Then he said it again. Bite the bullet and live to be a hundred. As far as I can tell, you can do whatever the pain will allow you to do. Some may have said this was not a good news or bad news. To me, it was nothing less than great news, offering me incredible hope. Dr. Meyer, may I ask you one more question? 
Of course. Does this mean that the ball is in my court? From here on, it's up to me? Absolutely. The choice is yours. Now, Tim Hansel was a passionate disciple of Jesus. Now, by the way, if you want to read his story, the book that he tells his story most in is called You Gotta Keep Dancing, which kind of describes how he approached life. He was a passionate disciple of Jesus. At times, he was strongly tempted to give up, to surrender to despair. But he learned to practice tenacious, determined faith in the Lord for the rest of his life. So that's why we're gonna talk about tenacious faith. Now, the word tenacious, what does it mean? Dictionary definition, tenacious means to hold firmly, to be immovable, to be stubborn. Like being a stump in the ground. If you've ever had to try to move a stump out of the ground, you know how difficult that is. We're meant to be in some ways stumps for Jesus. Isn't that nice? The main point of this message is simply this. Biblical faith is tenaciously fixed upon the Lord and his promises, regardless of the obstacles. So the outline for this message as we take a look at verses 17 to 22 is simply this. We're gonna look at four men. In the Bible, they're called the patriarchs, the four great heroes of the faith from the latter half of the book of Genesis. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. Each one of these men practiced tenacious faith. From Abraham in verses 17 to 19 of Hebrews 11, we'll learn about trusting obedience. From Isaac, we'll learn about following God's priorities. From Jacob, resting in the Lord's will. From Joseph, remembering and a decision. Now, let me just review a little bit, if we can, about Hebrews 11, since we have been in this chapter of the Bible for several weeks now. First of all, you may remember in verse one, we're told there that faith is the evidence, or excuse me, let me say it this way, faith is the assurance, it is the confidence that we have in the Lord. It is also conviction, and it is based upon evidence. That's Hebrews 11.1. 1. Hebrews 11.6, we're told there that without faith, it is impossible to please God. So faith is absolutely necessary. If we're going to live lives at all that the Lord is going to be pleased with or he's going to wish to honor. And then in verses 13 through 16, as we learned last Sunday with Pastor Jonathan, living by faith means we're not focused upon our present life or troubles. It means that we are seeking a new homeland because quite frankly, this world will never be our home. We're seeking a better country, just as they were back when Hebrews 11 was written. All right, let's take a look now at Hebrews 11, and I'm gonna read verses 17 to 22, and this is gonna be from the English Standard Version. So read with me, here we go. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. 
He considered that God was even able to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings upon Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. All right, so four examples, four men who practiced tenacious faith. Let's go ahead and take a look, first of all, at Abraham, verses 17 to 19. You know, in Scripture, Abraham is the only man in all the Bible who is called the friend of God. He's actually called that twice. He's called that in Isaiah 41.8. He's called it again God's friend in James 2.23. So, if he's God's friend, why was God testing him? And by the way, out of all the people that are mentioned here in Hebrews 11, this faith chapter of the Bible, it is only Abraham that is specifically mentioned as being tested by God. Not to say the others weren't, but specifically Abraham was tested and it was one of the most intense tests in all of Scripture, involving his precious, unique son, Isaac. Now, by the way, the Greek word periazo that is translated here as tested has two different meanings, primarily in the New Testament. Sometimes it's translated tempt. Sometimes it's translated tested. And it all depends upon the context, all right? You see, our sin nature, our old flesh, as well as Satan, we are there from them tempted into sin, okay? What we have to do is resist that temptation. As we're told in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, there has been no temptation that has fallen upon you or has seized you such as is common to man. But with the temptation, God will provide a way of escape. That's one meaning of parazzo, to tempt. The other meaning is here, to test. So why it was God testing Abraham? For the same reason that he tests us, guys. It's so that we grow stronger in our faith and learn to rely upon God more. So when tests come, and they're gonna come, we have the choice as far as how we're going to respond. So this is what James tells us about testing. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4. Frankly, I have a hard time on that first phrase, count it all joy. That's tough, isn't it? But the deal is this, when we are tested, what we have to remember is don't short circuit the process. 
Did you catch that James wrote, let steadfastness have its full effect. See, what I'm convinced what happens is when we do not respond properly to the test, we basically get our nose bent out of joint and we don't like it and we fuss and whine and complain and the Lord says, okay, all right, you didn't learn the lesson this time, so sometime later, here it comes again. We fuss, we complain, we carry on. The Lord says, okay, you didn't learn it. All right, here it comes again. We take one more trip around the mountain. All because we didn't respond properly to the test. What God is trying to make us is to be like an oak tree. Without the tests, we will never be, as it were, oak trees. You know what will be? Bonsai trees. There is nothing more useless, sorry if I offend some of you with our gardeners out there, there is nothing more useless than a bonsai tree. You know, people have them on the edge of their desk and they take a little tweezer and they trim in the leaves and all that and it's kind of like growing and maybe it gets about this big. It's basically like a mini wimpy shrub. That's not what God wants. And the reason why oak trees get so strong is because they have to deal with adversity all the time in their natural environment. Whether it's droughts, whether it's wind, whatever. So what the Jewish rabbis for centuries have called the binding of Isaac, and they've written about it, lots of stuff. This was Abraham's greatest test. So coming back to the scripture, it says there again, he was tested, and that's in the present tense. Here's what that means. God commanded him to do what he had to do back in Genesis 22 to get to where Abraham was going to have to offer up Isaac as a sacrifice was a three-day journey. He had to travel from what we know today as Beersheba up to what we know today as Jerusalem to the place where eventually the temple would be built. Three days to get to where he would carry out God's command. As one scholar says, faith perseveres to the end. It was a painful call of obedience. Here was the issue. He must put the giver, that's the Lord, before his gifts that's Isaac and all the promises that were wrapped up in Isaac. Which was it gonna be? Was he gonna put obedience to God first or was he gonna cling to the blessings that the Lord was offering him? As one scholar wrote, F.F. Bruce, he said, the fulfillment of God's promises depended on Isaac's survival. If Isaac were to die, how could these promises be fulfilled? You catch the issue? There's a tension here. The tension, though, is in our heads as we look at this. It wasn't in Abraham's. Do you see any tension? When you read the story in Genesis 22, God gives the command. Next morning, Abraham gets up and him and Isaac set out. For Abraham, the issue was 
obedience. It's sort of the same thing as when the Lord was talking to his disciples in Luke chapter 17, and he was trying to teach them about the necessity of forgiveness. And at one point, Jesus says to his disciples, if somebody sins against you and asks you for forgiveness, you're to forgive them. And then he says, if they sin against you seven times the same day, you are still to practice forgiveness. And the disciples knew they couldn't do this. So they immediately responded, increase our faith. Our faith's not big enough to handle this. And Jesus corrected them and he told them, look, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, now how big's a mustard seed? If you take your thumb and you take your first finger and you bring them together like that, the smallest space that you can create without touching, that's a mustard seed. It was the smallest seed known in Palestine in Jesus' day. So the Lord said, if you had faith this big, you could say to that mountain or that tree, be uprooted and go into the sea and it would obey you. Jesus' point was simply this. It's not a question of somehow screwing up enough faith. It's a question of obedience. God says it, we do it. That's obedience. Now notice what Abraham was thinking as we come back to the scriptures, okay? Verse 19, he, that's Abraham, considered that God was even able to raise him, that's Isaac, from the dead. The term considered in the Greek language there means a settled conviction a firm persuasion. Now, how in the world did Abraham screw up enough faith to believe that God would even raise his son, even if he was offered as a sacrifice? Because Abraham remembered the circumstances involving Isaac's birth. Because Isaac's birth was an out-and-out miracle. Here's what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 4. All right, about Abraham and Sarah and Isaac. He, that's Abraham, did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body to be already dead, since he was about 100 years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Okay, if it wasn't discouraging enough for Abraham to look at himself, think, look at Sarah. Sarah's 90. He did not waver in unbelief at God's promise, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God because he was convinced that what God had promised, he was able to do. Abraham simply figured that Isaac's birth was a miracle, so also would be his resurrection from the altar. Abraham had no doubts. As a matter of fact, if you read the story in Genesis 22, he tells his servants as him and Isaac set out to climb that mountain, he says, the boy and I will go up to the mountain, we will worship, and we, not I, we will come back to you. Here's the first lesson about tenacious faith. Tenacious faith obeys the Lord even when it involves hard choices. 
It obeys. Abraham put obedience to the Lord first and was richly blessed by the Lord as a result. Of course, he did not have to actually offer up his son because the Lord stopped Abraham literally in mid-motion from doing the deed. Now, the next three men, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph in our passage, all three of these also practiced tenacious faith, but here's the deal. They did it as they were approaching death. Okay? Let's take a look first of all at Isaac. Isaac is following God's priorities. So if you take a look, he's just briefly mentioned in verse 20. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. Now the order is important simply for this. Jacob is the slightly younger of these two twins that the Lord blessed Isaac and his wife Rebekah with. Jacob was understood to be the one that would have favor from God. He was the one who was supposed to receive the blessing from the Lord. But that was not Isaac's intention. Far from it. Over in Genesis chapter 27, I'm going to read just the first four verses from Genesis 27. And here we'll see what Isaac was fully intending to do. Okay? When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son. And he answered, Here I am. And he said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me. Isaac had a taste for venison. And prepare me delicious food, such as I love, and bring it to me that I may eat and that my soul may bless you before I die. He wants to give the blessing to Esau because Esau was his favorite son. Two problems with this. First problem, Esau has all the spiritual interest of a turnip. He doesn't care about spiritual things. He never did. Plus also, he was stupid. Here's what I mean by that. He came in hunting from hunting one day and his brother Jacob was cooking up some stew, lentil stew, big whoop, okay, lentils. And Esau was really, really hungry. So he comes up to his brother and says, hey, give me some of that stew. And Jacob, being the smart conniver that he was, says, uh, first give me your birthright. Here's the deal. A birthright in the ancient world meant that Esau, as the elder son, would receive an extra share of their father's estate. Isaac was an incredibly rich man. When he dies, everything he owned would come to Jacob and to Esau. Since Esau was older, Esau would receive two-thirds of the estate. Jacob would receive only one-third. So, stew, birthright. Esau says, okay, stupid. All right? Loses a third of the estate for a bowl of stew. Also, the other problem with Isaac's intention is that was not the Lord's intention. And Isaac knew this as well as Rebekah. 
Because in Genesis 25, 23, before Esau and Jacob were ever even born, Rebekah was told this by the Lord. Two nations are in your womb. Two peoples within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, and the older, that's Esau, shall serve the younger, Jacob. We need to understand this because we can make the same mistake. Esau, excuse me, Isaac was putting his desire and his understanding before God's. That's always a bad choice. Always a bad choice. That's why we're told in Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways submit, literally the Hebrew says, know. In all your ways know him. That means experiential knowledge. How do we know God? We know God by spending time with God. In all your ways submit or know him and he will make your paths straight. So what happened? Isaac's wife, Rebecca, and her favorite son, Jacob, deceived Isaac. I'll let you read the story on your own, okay? It's a fascinating story, but he, Isaac was deceived. Jacob gained the blessing, plus a lot of trouble, and Isaac had to accept the outcome. So when Esau showed up with his prize game and the meal all prepared, Jacob had disguised himself to look and to try to sound like Esau. Jacob had just slept out of the tent. In comes Esau. Esau wants the blessing. Isaac can't give it. And it says then, Genesis 27, 33, then Isaac trembled very violently and said, who was it then that hunted game for me and I ate it? All before you came, and I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. He can't take it back. He has to accept what's happened by faith. So, next lesson on tenacious faith from Isaac. Tenacious faith means that we submit to God's plan and purpose, not our own desires. Submission to God is easy as long as he wants us to do something we already want to do, right? It's when he explicitly tells us, you're not going in my will, son or daughter. This is what I want you to do. You're going the wrong way. That's when it gets hard. Who's going to win that battle, God or us? Sometimes God lets us triumph for a little while, and then we learn the hard lesson that we should have listened to the Lord. We should have obeyed him. It would have been so much easier, as Isaac discovered. So tenacious faith means we submit to God's plan and purpose, not our own desires. Now, what about Jacob? Well, let's go back. Back over to Hebrews 11. We're told there, by faith, verse 21, by faith Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. Jacob is a fascinating man. 
Much of his adult life, Jacob had been a deceitful, scheming man. Someone who trusted, who tended to trust in his own wits rather than relying upon the Lord. In spite of this, God had taken care of his servant as Jacob himself came to acknowledge. Well, his story is concluding by the time you get to Genesis chapters 47 and 49. Jacob and his family had been sojourners in Egypt for 17 years, protected by his beloved son, Joseph. Well, by the end of Genesis 47, Jacob is now 147 years old. His death is quickly approaching. However, before he dies, as verse 21 tells us, he does two things. The first thing that's mentioned is he blesses Joseph's two sons. Now, I don't have time as I'm watching the clock to take you through the passage, but it's in Genesis 48, verses 13 to 20. But Joseph brings his two sons to his father, who summons his strength and sits at the edge of his bed, fully intending to bless Joseph's sons. Joseph knows that his father cannot see very well anymore. So he very carefully puts the older son, Manasseh, on the right. The right side, the right hand always went to the stronger blessing. He puts the second youngest son, Ephraim, on the other side. Jacob begins to give the blessing. Joseph's being very respectful. And then he notices that as the blessing is being given, his father has done this. He has taken his right hand and instead of blasting Manasseh, he puts it on the head of Ephraim. Meaning Ephraim is going to receive the greater blessing even though he's the younger of the two sons. Manasseh is still going to be blessed, but he's going to get less because on him the left hand is resting. When Joseph recognizes, he says, no, no, father. You're not doing it right. Jacob says, I know, son, I know, but this is what the Lord intends. Manasseh will be blessed as well, but the greater blessing will fall on Ephraim. And indeed, Ephraim was the more important of those two tribes, both descendants from Joseph. Jacob was simply following what the Lord wanted him to do, involving his grandsons. He was just simply following the Lord's lead. And then also, as it's mentioned in the verse, Jacob, at the same time, extracts a promise from Joseph, saying, when I die, my son Joseph, you promise me. You will take my body back and you will bury me in the land promised to our forefathers. I do not want to be buried in Egypt. Bury me in the land promised. And Joseph promises the most solemn oath that he can. And then we're told here in Hebrews that Jacob then bowed in worship at his staff. Now, Hebrew language, a lot of the words are written simply as consonants, okay? The vows you supply later. That's the reason why if you read this story in your Bibles, in Genesis it's said there that, Joseph, that Jacob bowed at the head of his bed. 
But if you put in the same three Hebrew consonants and you change the vowels a little bit, it says there that he bowed at the head of his staff. Let's go with staff for just a second. How many of you guys have seen The Hobbit or The Lord of the Rings or read the stories? Remember Gandalf? Everywhere that Gandalf goes, everywhere that he walks, he always has his what with him? That's his pilgrim staff, okay? So also in the ancient world, whenever you walked and Jacob as a sojourner, as a foreigner in the land promised, to his for, promised by God to his descendants, always had his pilgrim staff with him. You see, even though Jacob is going to die, he still has one more final journey. The same journey that each and every one of us will take. When we transition from this time and we step into eternity. That's why Jacob has that staff. He's done what he needed to do. He's lived his life finally faithfully to the Lord and he's waiting and he's worshiping for the next step. I love what the Lord Jesus says when he talked to his disciples who were very upset because he told them he was leaving them. But this is what the Lord said to them and to us. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If not, I would have told you. If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, so that where I am, you may be also. So what we can learn from Jacob is that tenacious faith means that we trust and rest in God's power leaving things in his hands. And then there's Joseph himself, verse 22. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. Joseph had a tremendous legacy. He forgave his brothers for betraying him when he was only 17 and selling him into slavery in Egypt. Because he recognized the hand of God upon his life, years later he told them, you intended it for evil, but God intended it for good. He forgave his brothers. He had saved Egypt and his own family from disaster and starvation for decades. He had been the second most powerful man in the greatest empire of his day. But now... He's 110 years old. The end has come. So we're told in Genesis, it says this, Genesis 50, verses 24 and 25. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but surely God will come to your aid and take you up from this land to the land promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Joseph made the Israelites swear an oath and said, God will surely come to your aid, and you must carry my bones up from this place. Now, a couple of things here, really quick. In the ESV translation, it says in verse 22, he made mention of the Exodus. We'll talk about that in a second. The key word there, he made mention. You can also translate that remembered. 
how, how did Joseph know that eventually his people were going to leave Egypt? How could he have known that? It wouldn't happen for another 300 years, long after Joseph was dead. Well, one way he knew was way back in the time of his great-grandfather, Abraham, when God had entered into a covenant with Abraham in Genesis 15, a very solemn, frankly scary experience that Abraham had, one of the things that the Lord told Abraham in Genesis 15, verses 12 to 14, your people will be enslaved in a land for 400 years. And then I will come and I will judge that land and I will bring your people out. Joseph remembered that. And that's why he was looking forward. Even though he was dying, he was looking forward and counting on that promise. What God had said was indeed going to happen. Now get this. Joseph was 110, we are told, when he was dying. For over 90 years, over 90 years, he had lived and served in Egypt. Egypt was not his home. That's the reason why he told the Israelites on his deathbed, you're not leaving me here. You guys are going to pack up my bones, whatever's left of me, and you're going to take me with you. By the way, that's exactly what they did. As Israel was leaving after all the plagues fell upon Egypt, and Israel was departing according to Exodus 13, 19, they were carrying Joseph's coffin with him. And then some years later, when they were settled in the land and Joshua's time as their first conqueror had come to an end, they buried Joseph's remains in the land of Ephraim, the land that the tribe of Ephraim, next to the land the tribe of Manasseh, had been given to them by the Lord. Tenacious faith remembers God's truth and acts on it. That's what he's doing here. No questions, no if, if, ands, or buts. He takes God at his word and he responds accordingly. Just as he had lived by faith all throughout much of his life. So, a quick review. Four men who practiced tenacious faith First of all, there was Abraham. Trusting obedience is what we see with Abraham. Then there's Isaac, who was following God's priorities. Jacob, who was resting in the Lord's will. And Joseph, who was remembering and made a decision. Now, this message is almost at an end, but before I give the final question, I do want to mention, because we are going to be having baptism very shortly, if you are on the list to be baptized, I want to go ahead and excuse you now for baptism. You want to head over to this door, off in this direction, what we call basically, uh, we used to call the prayer room. I'm blanking out on what we call it now. But anyway, you're going to go through that room over there, okay, if you are in here for baptism. Also, if you are very, very interested in baptism, 
and perhaps would like to make a choice to follow the Lord in baptism now, I also want to invite you to go over there as well because we can certainly talk with you about that and perhaps baptize you as well. So as they're heading over there, let me just talk briefly to the rest of us, okay? A final question off of this message. Where in your life do you need to be obeying Jesus? Practicing tenacious faith. For each and every one of us, that's gonna be different. But we have here four great examples of men who trusted the Lord and the Lord honored their faith, their trust. If God's dealing with you that you need to trust him about something and step out by faith, you need to respond to that. So we're gonna have a time for people to come forward for prayer. We'll have some of our church leaders down here. You come forward if you wanna pray with someone as the Lord leads.